Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers, and you are in season four of Wrestling at Random. And as we always say during the season, that means more possibilities than ever on the show via the randomizer, which has been stuffed full with more wrestling content than in any previous season. That's meant some different episodes, some different territories, some different shows, uh, maybe than even usual in previous seasons. And that holds true again today as we have an episode of very late stage stampede wrestling television to review. That's right. We take all of the internet's wrestling content, we dump it into the randomizer, we fire it up every single week, and it picks a random show for us to watch. Could be from any territory, any time, a pay-per-view, a TV show, anything. It is busting at the seams in season four. We've got more content than ever. And here it pulled an episode, like you mentioned, of Stampede Wrestling. This is from Calgary, February 10th, 1989. This is very late stage. I'll get into that a little bit as we talk about the history of Stampede Wrestling. But first, uh, new listeners, welcome. Uh, we keep, we see you coming in. We're very happy to have you here. Uh, we've actually done an episode of Stampede Wrestling in the past. Uh, season 3, episode 25 of the free feed. We, re- we visited Stampede Wrestling for the first time. Um, and we also have some bonus content episodes. Uh, we have a bonus episode that comes out every single week via our Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling at random, or by subscribing directly in your Apple podcast feed. There we put, we put out an extra episode every single week. We've done two trips to, uh, Calgary and Stampede Wrestling, uh, one was episode two. The second ever bonus feed content we did was reviewing a match from the 1995 Calgary Stampede reunion tribute Stu Hart birthday celebration show. And uh, and we also did a show uh, going back, uh, what did we say, 79? Yes, 1979 bonus episode 32 featuring Antonio Noki versus Stan Hansen from Stampede, not from any uh, anywhere in Japan, from Stampede Wrestling. So there's a lot of Stampede content here, but for those who are new and have not listened to that free feed episode, uh, here's a little bit of the history. A little uh, Dave Meltzer history for you on Stampede Wrestling from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Uh, 1946 is when Stu Hart started stampede wrestling in calgary you know Stu hart as the patriarch of the famous hart wrestling dynasty i feel like you saying 1946 is when Stu hart started stampede wrestling is the first half of a jerry lawler joke from wwf television (laughs) in the mid 90s uh vince mcmahon just a few years before the show we are about to review had already started running nationally in the United States and parts of Canada. There was no way, even with its superior work rate, high-flying smaller wrestlers, that the modest look of Stampede Wrestling and its two-camera shoot could compete with Hulk Hogan and the WWF. Vince McMahon came to Stu Hart, owner of the Stampede promotion, And instead of just running him out of business like he was about to do to everyone else, he offered Stu a deal. He'd buy Stampede Wrestling for $1 million. Wow. Which, in 1985, this was an amazing total. If you consider that just a few months earlier, 
he purchased a controlling interest in the far more valuable Georgia Championship Wrestling Office for somewhere between six seventy-five and seven hundred and fifty thousand, and that well, also, included a national TV contract. Also, think about this: some sixteen years later, Vince McMahon bought WCW for a total of four point two million. Uh, 2.5 million of which was for the name and logo an additional 1.7 million for the tape library. So in 1985, uh, he almost, he offered to pay 25% of the WCW purchase price for stampede. And that's not all. The deal was also that McMahon would pay Stu Hart $100,000 per year for 10 years to pay off that million dollars. Wow. And in addition, Stu Hart would get 10% of the gate from all house shows in Calgary and Edmonton that WWF would run. Wow, so somewhat similar to what they did in Toronto with Jack Tunney. Mm -hmm. McMahon also got Stu's television network, giving him coverage in all of Western Canada. Stu Hart, who was 69, said that he was too old to fight McMahon. He recognized... If he, if he wanted to, it was a fight he couldn't win. And Stu's only stipulation to Vince McMahon as part of this deal was that he had to give jobs to his three most talented wrestlers, his son Bret Hart, his son-in-law Davey Boy Smith, and the Dynamite Kid. Not exactly charity, considering that those guys would go on to be maybe the three best actual wrestlers in the WWF. From the moment they stepped in, at least with uh, uh, with Dynamite and Brett. As it turned out, though, Stu Hart only got the first $100,000 payment. Some blame this on Bruce Hart, his son, who didn't get a job with Vince McMahon and opened up a short-lived wrestling group in the area, Ugh. which Vince McMahon may have seen as a violation of the non-compete agreement that they had made bruce who was booking stampede at the time of the sale had no idea the sale was being negotiated didn't learn of anything until hearing it as the lead sports story on a friday night as he was heading to the pavilion for a show bruce got to the building and the wrestlers none of whom were aware of anything were asking questions until Stu showed up late into the show to say it was all true and the company was shutting down. One year later, McMahon told Stu that he wasn't going to pay him the promised $100,000 per year and told Stu he could reopen Stampede Wrestling if he liked. Jeez. Of course, McMahon by this point had all of Stu's top stars and more importantly, the familiar TV time slot for fans in the area and was now the established Major League Wrestling promotion. Stu had to restart from scratch, clearly as a minor league operation, catering just to the diehards and servicing the small towns in the middle of nowhere that WWF wouldn't go near. Stu decided against filing a lawsuit, feeling it would ruin the careers of Dynamite, Davey, and Brett, and now his son-in-law Jim Neidhart, who was also there at this point. This version of Stampede Wrestling from October 1985 through December 1989 
that actually gained the most worldwide recognition for the group, largely due to the rise of Stu's youngest son, Owen Hart, who we do not see on this episode, unfortunately. I was just going to say, Owen Hart, a young Brian Pillman, both were sorely needed here on this show. (laughs) This show is February 10th, 1989, the final show for Stampede Wrestling would take place just 10 months later in Edmonton on December 16th. The main event was Larry Cameron defeating Bob Emery in the main event to retain the North American Heavyweight Championship. I believe we call that a main event anywhere in the world. (laughs) Stampede officially shut down on December 18th, 1989. Bruce Hart attempted a couple of relaunches in the early 90s. And, of course, they had the special Stampede Wrestling show in 95 that I talked about at the top of the show where we reviewed that match in the bonus content. Um, Watching this show in particular, uh, general thoughts uh, before we get started. It is, you know, we've seen a lot of different territories from the late stage 80s, post-McMahon's WWF expansion. Even 1989, think Continental, which was on a very similar timeline, for better or worse. And while it's all the production challenges that every other small territory had, it is fun to see and to think about when you're watching this and you see who's on this show. You can't help but think about the history of this show, the heyday of this show, and how... It was totally a melting pot of, of wrestling styles, combining European style, Japanese style, Southern U.S. style, and Canadian, its own style, and uh, just a total melting pot. And really how people came, worked in Stampede, and then it gave them the ability to wrestle anywhere else in the world. And they became top stars in other areas of the globe. Pretty, pretty amazing. We see that even here on this show, like you said, in the waning months in the final year of Stampede Wrestling, uh, you know, that still is in effect when you see guys like obviously the British Bulldogs who had, had made it big, had come back. They, I believe, were also wrestling in all Japan uh, at the same time, which we've reviewed uh, in a previous episode of the podcast. Uh, and, you know, you see Chris Benoit, you see Biff Wellington, you see guys that would go on to do other things. And, yeah, Stampede was a place where, you know, Guys, it was it was a step along the way, and then also guys would go overseas and then bring that style back, and then it would influence the next generation of wrestlers that came through. Just sort of in terms of overall thoughts, kind of on the presentation of the show before we start talking about the content of it, I was a bit surprised by how much visually this still felt like Stampede Wrestling. When you think about late-stage territories that we've reviewed where they seem – they come across as being very downtrodden and very bare bones and just kind of circling the drain. I don't know that you would necessarily know that from this episode of Stampede. A big part of that is having the British Bulldogs on the show, having a young Chris Benoit on the show. Uh, some people like Ed Whalen, some people don't. But, you know, Ed Whalen, who had been the voice forever uh, of Stampede, was there as the voice. And so it wasn't, if you're watching a vacuum, it wasn't quite as depressing of a late stage territory show as some of the other ones we've watched. 
Absolutely. You mentioned Ed Whalen. He is our main play-by-play guy. He's joined on commentary by Bulldog Bob Brown as we continue to become a Bulldog Bob Brown podcast. The shocking thing is he looks younger here than he did in the 60s when we reviewed him doing a wrestling match, I think, from like 1969. He just, he's again, he's part of that pantheon of men like J.J. Dillon that were born, got old really fast, and then stayed visually the same age for approximately 30 to 50 years. What he was not good at is color commentary. I thought Brutal. he was grating throughout this entire episode. Just just the same couple of lines over and over again and was trying to be the heel commentary figure. And yeah, it was just... Oh, just grating the entire time. It really and, was. And Ed Whalen is the type of play-by-play guy, if you can even call him that, that if he's not going to have a really good color commentator, it's almost better for him to just be on by himself because he gets so sidetracked legitimately by bad color commentary that it's it, it's even more of an act of detriment than just the commentary itself being bad. So, yeah. You know, we, we've talked about before, Ed Whalen, a, a polarizing figure, I think, particularly uh, among people who watched Stampede regularly, like beloved, obviously, in Calgary, whether it be uh, in wrestling, in hockey, with a uh, uh, an announce booth named uh, for him to this day at the Calgary Saddledome. But he was not a traditional wrestling announcer, and he, he had a way of kind of making, like, making heels look bad, particularly when he interviewed them. Um, but like just as comfort food, I was like, oh, Ed Whalen, yay, this will be fun. This will make it easier to get through this hour. I guess actually we should we should mention as well. Is it two-hour broadcast probably? I think two hours or maybe 90 minutes because the version that we watched um, on YouTube has the commercials cut out, and it is an hour and 13 minutes. So I'm assuming either they had really long commercial breaks or there's or something missing minutes. from the show or it was – uh, that's that sweet spot of a 90 minute wrestling show like Memphis had for a time. Yeah. And if you want to hear more about Ed Whalen and some hilarious Ed Whalen stories, I included those from the uh, wrestling observer newsletter uh, in our review in the, uh, in the bonus feed of what we, of that, that Canadian version of pro wrestling this week. Yes. Yes. Um, which is a, one of the deepest cuts as we talk, I'll see if I can find which episode that is, but yes, the TSN version of pro wrestling this week. Uh, we had some, we had some fun. Yeah. Pro wrestling this week, I believe is in the free feed and it is one of our favorite shows that we ever reviewed here, yes, the uh, Joe, so. which was the Joe Pettacino, Gordon Soli studio yeah. show. That show was tremendous. We loved it. You can listen to that right now in our archives, uh, over the bonus feed, we had a, uh, a, a weird Canadian version of it that was yes. hosted by Ed Whalen. So uh, it took some time to discuss the uh, some of the history of Ed Whalen within professional wrestling and some great stories over there. I found that that, that show is called Pro Wrestling Plus that Pro aired Wrestling Plus. On, on TSN. <laughs> it is bonus content episode 54 over at patreon.com. Highly recommend. Highly recommend if you have it. If you're already a bonus subscriber, you can go listen to it right when you're done listening to this podcast. It is waiting there patiently for you. Just by subscribing for one month unlocks the entire back catalog. So make sure you give that one a listen. This show starts in the ring. We have the Power Twins, David Powers and Larry Powers, taking on Goldie Rogers 
And Sandy Beach, 80s jobber legend, Sandy Beach. 80s jobber legend that also was a guy that Herb Abrams tabbed as being like one of his top homegrown stars for the ill-fated Herb Abrams version of UWF. If you've seen that episode of Dark Side of the Ring, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, watch that episode of Dark Side of the Ring after you listen to this podcast. But yeah, I was not expecting to see Sandy Beach here on Stampede Wrestling. Ed Whalen calls Beach's gear puke green. He hates this man's gear. He, so the, the exact quote from Ed Whalen, and just imagine this in Ed Whalen voice is, I hate to be distasteful, but Sandy Beach is the one in the puke green tights. He then takes a, a deep breath, a sigh, and utters two words. Quote, it's despicable unquote this was the most ed whalen thing ever this Loved is already it. a tremendous hour and a half of pro wrestling television just based off of that powers dominate beach early the beach gets sent into his own corner they want rogers to tag in quick tags double teaming on rogers we get a brief comeback for beach and rogers uh they then back to double teaming on rogers uh, we get to see a lazy man's sling blade clothesline where he does a sling blade but doesn't go off his feet. Yeah, this was this match was not very good. <laughs> no. um, the Powers Twins, whatever in your mind you think of as being the Powers Twins, it is so much <laughs> less whelming. It's so much more underwhelming than you could possibly imagine. They're just wearing like generic black gear. Um, it appears as though the only move they know how to do is the kitchen sink knee to the stomach. We see that at least eight times. We also have Bob Brown trying to do the, the heel announcer shtick, which we've heard done so many more times. Uh, actually, if you go back to that episode of WCW Saturday Night, the bonus feed, where the Cole twins were wrestling, and Jesse Ventura was hilarious, screwing with Tony Schiavone, saying, no, that's Keith, no, that's Kenton, constantly contradicting Tony. Bob Brown is trying to do that here. Nowhere near as well. Uh, no. I guess that's that's the shocking news to come out of this podcast. <laughs> Bulldog Bob Brown, not as entertaining of a color commentator as Jesse the Body Ventura. Film at eleven. Look out for those headlines. The uh, yeah, this this was very basic offense by both teams. Uh, all four men got in the ring. Beach and Rogers get whipped into each other. A double suplex. No, we a, had a double whammy suplex, according to Ed Whalen, the first of many Whalenisms. And then a double elbow drop, and the Power Twins get the pin. Jim Davies is in the ring to interview the Sing Boys, Mock and Sing. The Sing Sing Boys, as they constantly say. Because isn't Sing Sing like a prison or something, like a famous yes. prison? And so even though it's it's the Sings, the, Ed Whalen constantly says, the Sing Sing Boys. Yes, uh, Mockin Singh is wearing an Oilers jersey to get heat in Calgary. I love that. A Gretzky Oilers jersey. This is amazing. They're, uh, they have a, a no disqualification match coming up against the British Bulldogs later in the show. I, we mentioned the British Bulldogs briefly earlier, but when, this, when I fired this show up and then I heard uh, the Singh say they were wrestling the British Bulldogs here in Stampede in 1989... I thought we were going to get some sort of knockoff. I thought for sure it was going to be Johnny Smith and somebody. Um, But instead, it is, in fact, the Dynamite Kid and Davey Boy Smith. 
and, and we will see them in the main event of the show. Yes, uh, I immediately thought like, oh, is this where like Benoit was teaming with Davey against Johnny Smith and uh, and and Dynamite and all this stuff? Like, because I know that there was like a Dynamite heel turn at one point. Yeah. Like, so uh, I was trying to figure out where we were in that timeline, but uh, no, this was the straight up British Bulldogs returning and and having a run here in late stage Stampede. We go to the ring. Dirty Roger Rhodes and Randy Colley are taking on Kim Shaw and Steve Blackman. <laughs> Steve Blackman again randomly popping up on this podcast. We just saw him last week in linear fashion on Survivor Series 2000. And what we always say about Steve Blackman holds true here. No matter when you see him, it always feels like he was not in that promotion at the time that he's appearing in. He is just dropped in here. This is such a weird match on multiple levels. Kim Shao is a total zero. Steve Blackman <laughs> looks exactly like Steve Blackman that you remember from WWF, except for mullet, as one does in 1989. Their opponents are Randy Colley, and as you mentioned, Dirty Roger Rhodes, who is the worst Dusty Rose impersonating wrestler you've ever seen, and there were many. These two men, if if you remember, appeared on, it was either Pro Wrestling This Week or Pro Wrestling Plus that we reviewed when they went to Memphis. Again, like late stage yes. of that era of Memphis. They were the riot squad going after Jerry Lawler. Here they are, Dirty Roger Rhodes and Randy Colley. The other thing about this match that we find out at the very beginning, I guess it isn't about this match, but we find out during this match, is that Don Morocco is the reigning North American champion of Stampede, but apparently he just bolted to the AWA. To the That's AWA. literally <laughs> what Ed Whalen tells us, that Don Morocco was on the AWA last week, and then Ed Whalen goes full Bill Watts when someone's leaving a territory. Like This was Bill Watts when, uh, when the Blade Runners were leaving UWF. He just totally rips into Don Morocco and basically says he's not man enough to, to cut it in Stampede. I did want to mention you, you, you didn't give enough justice to how much of a knockoff of dusty roads. This dirty Roger Rhodes is he's the answer to the question of what an untalented and uncharismatic dusty roads would look like this guy. Yes. If AI could generate that, it would be, Dirty Roger Rhodes. The only thing he did not have was the splotch. Otherwise, visually, he tried. It, it was like if you had really, really substandard definition TV, which was the norm in 1989, and you had really bad eyesight but couldn't find your glasses, and you glance at your TV screen, and think, oh, Dusty's on. But then the second he started doing anything or also will have a promo from him afterward, oh, my God. This, this smacks of late stage dying days of a territory yes. when you bring in a – like a, a, a Z-rate knockoff of a big star. Yeah, and like Kali looks like one of those old guys who used to be tough when he was younger and in shape. Yeah. And and just now he's an old guy and, and wouldn't intimidate a younger guy. You know what he when I saw him, I thought 15 years older Silas Young. Sure. Yeah. Like he's that guy that we talk about so often that he's the mid-card, rough-and-tumble heel that every territory has one to five of. 
and they're all interchangeable. Uh, Randy Colley seemed like there was a time where he could have been a low-grade version of that guy. Colley kills Shaw with an awful power slam. He picks him up at a two-count. Shaw gets hit with a chair outside by Rhodes. And everyone who gets hit with a chair on this show, these are like like plastic chairs. They're not like folding chairs. They're like They're... banquet hall chairs. These are heavy, nasty chairs. Uh, also, Gosh. you should mention, you talked about when uh, when uh, when Kali picked Shaw up after that uh, that power slam. Uh, Ed Whalen described that uh, that tactic as, quote, that old sadist thing. Shaw's boot becomes untied some point <laughs> during this match. <laughs> and, and then he makes a hot tag to Steve Blackman. Blackman runs wild on both guys. Does a pretty good job. He's like the best guy in this match, uh, in this sequence specifically. Uh, he does a great job, except for Kali taking a bump off a chop that barely touched him, didn't come anywhere near him. This I had to rewind this three times. It was as though he went to throw a – he was supposed to throw a clothesline and didn't, and Kali still took the bump. Horrible. This was, it looked like Kali was just it, like bump class in school, not taking – or not getting hit by anything. Uh, but still taking the bump. We also have throughout this match, uh, Bulldog Bob Brown constantly ridiculing and calling out Chris Benoit, saying that he's a punk kid, all this different stuff. And in my mind, I'm just trying to envision what a Bulldog Bob Brown, Chris Benoit match looks like. And uh, I can't also, uh, we say it every time we talk about Benoit on a previous episode, I think the first show that we ever talked had to talk about a Royal Chris Rumble Benoit 2003. Match. Royal Rumble yes. 2003 in the free feed, we, we uh, go into depth about uh, how we feel about watching Chris Benoit matches. We're not going to go through that here. We'll nope. let you go back to the free feed and do that. Still weird, hasn't changed, will never not be weird. So Blackman, after this good fun the only the first fun moment of this match uh, running wild he tags shaw back in and that's the end of that <laughs> these guys end up hitting the demolition finisher on shaw for the pin <laughs> roger rhodes and randy collie are your winners shaw was mitsuharu misawa compared to maurice cooper but he was yes. the worst guy on this show uh, by a significant margin I-, I thought particularly as a guy that was kind of like quasi pushed like this was not presented as a complete jobber match the only other weird thing in this match was ed ed wayland for no discernible reason telling us that february was national fruit month i had to rewind several times to make sure i heard that correctly uh we also had a yellow card given to roger rhodes two, for for me oh, we have two city. yellow cards later in a match yes yeah, so. yes and the idea is if three yellow cards are given then you are disqualified. But that was one of the things that was not necessarily explained. Then all of a sudden a yellow card popped. I'm like, okay, we're, we're kind of doing UWF rules, pure rules, uh, soccer. I don't know what's going on here. You mentioned Maurice Cooper. Uh, for those who aren't subscribing to the bonus content, uh, we reviewed an episode, episode 109 over in the bonus content, Championship Wrestling from Georgia from 1985, where we were introduced to Maurice Cooper, who's the greatest jobber in the history of jobbers. The Mount Rushmore starts with Maurice Cooper. And if uh, you want to hear all about that match and those details, go subscribe right now. It's one of the uh, most amazing moments of this podcast. It was the discovery 
of the existence of Maurice Cooper. Yes, the discovery of the existence of a more pathetic wrestler than Marshall Bovee, who we thought was uh was in the wwf be... wwf championship wrestling yes. episode here in the free feed yes. yes we thought he would be uh the featured jobber on the mount rushmore professional wrestling forever and maurice cooper knocked him off by a significant margin after the match they cut a promo they want the tag titles uh roger rhodes does his uh best Kirkland's version of Dusty Rhodes Best. promo impression. Do not impeach the name of Kirkland's. This was a Dollar Tree version of Dusty Rhodes. You should also mention the terrible dancing that Dirty Roger Rhodes oh, tried to do horrible. during this match. It was as though he had a hula hoop that no one else could see, but he was scared of using it. It was not. Uh, it was not good. The only entertaining thing about this promo was Randy Colley, who is not exactly jacked standing next to uh, a rather rotund, dirty Roger Rhodes, exclaiming that, quote, I hate fat people. That's always great when a heel is so non-self-aware that they say they hate people who are exactly like them. Yeah, it's right up there with ugly guys calling themselves beautiful. Yes, uh, yes, which we've had a few of those uh, on these territory shows. Always great. Yeah, Dennis Condry is the one sure. that always uh, is at the top of that list for me, or Jimmy Del Rey. Johnny Smith and the Great Gamma taking on Chris Benoit and Biff Wellington. Johnny Smith, of course, the the fake brother of Davy Boy Smith because they're both muscular and British. Um, yes. Johnny Smith, the, a few things about him just quickly. We He would go on and wrestle quite a bit in all Japan pro wrestling. Johnny Smith was also supposed to be in what ended up being the main event of ECW Anarchy Rules 1999, which was the biggest drawing card from a an attendance standpoint that ECW ever had. That was here in suburban Chicago, Illinois, where both Jeremy and I are based out of. We were at that show, but on the night of, that, ma- that match was changed from Rob Van Dam versus Johnny Smith for the TV title to Rob Van Dam versus Balls Mahoney. I don't know if that was an upgrade. <laughs> it was a grade. Yeah. That actually was a very good match between Balls Mahoney and Rob Van Dam on that show. It exceeded it was, expectations for sure. It yeah. did. Balls Mahoney was capable of having fun matches with the right opponent. Van Dam was incapable of having anything other than a really fun match in ECW at that point. So it was good stuff. I don't think anyone thought Balls Mahoney was winning. But then again, I don't think anyone thought Johnny Smith was winning the TV title either. So. The last time I saw Chris Benoit and Biff Wellington was representing Team Canada in a tournament in WCW. Yes, the summer of 1992, the NWA Tag Team Title Tournament at a Clash of the Champions. They had an awesome match with Brian Pillman and Jushin Liger, who also had had spent time in Stampede Wrestling. Uh, Really, really good match that just felt so out of place in 1992 WCW. That, I believe is the only other time prior to watching this show for this podcast that I had ever seen Biff or as he was known on that WCW show, Beef Wellington before. Uh, The good thing about this is that Benoit and Wellington have matching gear, long red tights with white vertical stripes up the side and their opponents, Makin Singh and is it Vulcan Singh? They have matching gear as well. Yeah, we'll get to them later. This is... uh... 1989, 
Chris Benoit. So a very young Chris Benoit here. And watching him against Johnny Smith and the Great Gamma, this guy was... Oh, yes, was... Johnny Smith and the Great Gamma. Jesus. I, you know what screwed me up here? I'm still... I, I, I've blocked everything about Johnny Smith out from this match <laughs> sure. because of that haircut. Hideous. What? It, it's, it's a mullet. But it's a power it's, mullet. It's a power mullet. But the front, the business part of the mullet is not doing any business. It is weird and angular. There's lines in it that I don't think are supposed to be there. It's a There's a flat top. It's as if you combined the Cole Twins mullet with like Road Warrior Animal's hair. It is True. truly bizarre. Like I was saying about Benoit, this is 1989. And he, this man is explosive. And he's sudden, and he's got an intensity. Like, this is a natural ability. This was not learned or developed. It was uh, harnessed, I'd say, uh, throughout his career. But he had it, and he had it here in 89. It was incredible to see because it's just a different speed and explosiveness than anybody else on this show. And when you look at what was going on in 1989, wow, did this stand out. Yeah, I was not prepared for early 1989 Chris Benoit as a wrestler to resemble 1992 Chris Benoit as a wrestler as much as he did here. When you consider how much international experience he would have between the two time periods, it's also wild to see him, Chris Benoit, here at his most young dynamite kid style on the same show as a fairly broken down dynamite kid just you know a half hour later on the same show it's it's because you always think of dynamite kid and then chris benoit came after and you think of all the similarities and the resemblances and their style appearance then here they're both on the same show you don't usually get to see them nearly side by side no and when you do i have it in my notes when we talk about the bulldog match i'm like oh my god like this version of chris benoit right here is is a copy of dynamite kid he's he's now a better dynamite kid than dynamite kid is and it's it's incredible to to see like how when you see it on the same show a half hour apart how much he imitated the little things that that benoit would do the little things that Dynamite Kid would do from the way he walked to the way he would get into the ring to the way that he would snap off a suplex ever the way he'd get up off the mat like everything was like wow dynamite kid influenced every single thing that benoit did we knew it but man when you see it like just a half hour apart it's pretty incredible it's incredible also because you think of how many times we've talked about wrestlers where they they were clearly influenced by someone and a lot of times it's the promo style or it's the moves they do but you almost never see a wrestler be able to that naturally and that intentionally now all the little things that the wrestler that they're taking very, very strongly from does. That's, that's a very good point. It's, I honestly, I can't think of another instance like that in, you know, the 35 plus, uh, you know, going on 40 years that I've watched wrestling. This was a, a lot of good teamwork from Benoit and Wellington. Um, Gamma and Smith got the heat for a little bit. Benoit did get a visual pin with a sunset flip, but the ref was distracted by Swinger. Benoit eventually made the hot tag to Wellington. Wellington misses a flying body attack. His legs get caught up in the rope. He looks good in this match. Outside, he did. Like, 
he's obviously not going to look as good as 1989 Chris Benoit, but like watching him here, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of amazing. He didn't get more of a run. Like he's a guy who I totally could have seen doing well, like in the mid card in, in New yeah. Japan or all Japan in the early nineties. Smith hits a top rope superplex and gets the pin. Smith and Gamma are your winners. Both teams do post-match promos. Uh, they want the tag titles also. Uh, yeah. So. In, in the promos, Chris Benoit says they want to wrestle the Funk Brothers. They want to wrestle the Rock and Roll Express. Um, I approve of all these yes. matches. <laughs> Bring those matches on. Um, Johnny Smith, outside of his haircut, I thought looked awesome here. You know, I've been sometimes impressed by him. Sometimes he just seems there. But I thought, like, his execution of gut wrench suplexes, uh, you know, double underhook suplexes, stuff like that was was really solid. I loved in the great gamma Johnny Smith promo, you just talked about it a few minutes ago, when ugly wrestlers talk about how beautiful they are. Uh, great gamma is extolling the virtues of Karachi Vice, which is the group they're a part of. He says that he and Johnny Smith are gorgeous and have modeling contracts from Playgirl. This absolutely <laughs> broke me. This is so ridiculous. Um, but yeah, good, good match. Fun stuff. Lethal Larry Cameron versus Ron Ritchie. The former people's champion, Ron Ritchie. I assume... The People's Championship has to be a real title of some sort in Stampede during this time period, whether it be for a belt or for a trophy or medallion of some sort. Because being the former People's Champion is maybe the most pathetic moniker that any (laughs) professional wrestler has ever had. The story of the match is Lethal Larry is too cocky, and he's quickly frustrated by Ron Ritchie. Uh, When Larry was on offense... This match was very punch-kicky. We're 10 minutes in, and I am very bored. There's not a lot going on here. This was awful. The story of this match is that neither of these men are good. Um, (laughs) I always wanted to like Larry Cameron because he had a cool look. Yeah. He was not bad on promos. He was actually pretty good on promos. If you recall, I think it was in the bonus feed. We watched an episode of an early 90s WCW TV show where Larry Cameron had a promo. Um, and it was one of those things where it's like, oh, Larry Cameron was in WCW. How, like, I don't remember that slash how did he not end up making it? Particularly after we saw that promo, he was going to be a, a singles guy managed by Teddy Long around the same time that Teddy Long was managing Doom, if I remember correctly. But this match really shows that there was not, there was not a whole lot there. Now he ended up getting two of the yellow cards, uh, Lethal Larry missed a stinger splash in the corner. He goes up and over to the floor. Back inside, Richie hits a pile driver and gets a two count. Bulldog Bob Brown was very critical of this pile driver. He missed it. He didn't get it all. Yes, this was Bulldog Bob Brown uh, talking about a pile driver in the way that Gorilla Monsoon uh, talks about a bear hug. Aggressively <laughs> critiques everyone's bear hugs. Agreed. Richie to the top. He gets cut off. Cameron ends up stacking him up, puts his feet on the ropes for leverage, and gets the pin. This match was long and not very good. No, it was not very good at all. Uh, We then have a Larry Cameron interview where he calls the Dynamite Kid Dynamite Smith. Larry also says he wants a title shot. And I do like that in this promotion, 
every single promo is everyone talking about wanting a title shot. So yes. everybody wants a title shot. Like that, they might be in a feud, but they also want a title shot, and they're also calling out the champion. That's something that I think we should bring back uh, nowadays to, to modern professional wrestling is yeah. you can be mad and deal with your feud, but also have long-term goals and a vision to get to a championship. Everybody, that should be everybody's goal, adds importance to everybody, keeps the champion in your mind throughout as a through line through all the segments. Um, yeah, absolutely would like to see that. And Lethal Larry calls Ed Whalen Mr. Ed, which always cracked me up. That, that, was, that made me laugh both times he said that. Yes, he also had a, a ridiculous line that made me laugh, particularly with his delivery, where he said, all you men that idolize my body and you women who follow me from the ring to the rear, I'm not available. Lethal Larry Cameron, everybody. International Tag Team Championship. Mockin Singh, Vokin Singh versus the British Bulldogs. Now, now we mentioned. Yes. Now we get the Singh brothers. I was just so excited after like we we talk about different wrestlers that we're like a stealth podcast of mock and sing yes we just had him as norman the lunatic uh on that was it the like halloween episode or whatever no, not the halloween oh, yeah it was episode, it, i believe that was a halloween episode of a world of a main event or a world championship it wrestling was the one that had the breaking news of the uh yeah, I think that was a Patella main event injury. episode. Yes. Yeah. So we, we, we've seen him a lot. The only, the only thing that we haven't seen him yet is uh, as Friar Ferguson. Uh, a little bit about the British Bulldogs at this point in their career. So this is 1989 British Bulldogs here in Stampede. Um, in the United States, the Dynamite Kid, he gained most of his fame from 85 to 87 while teaming with Davey Boy Smith as the original British Bulldogs in the WWF. Uh, they joined the WWF after Vince McMahon bought the Stampede territory from Stu Hart, like we mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, they introduced many popular double-team moves, Japanese-style moves to American wrestling. Dynamite Kid also popularized moves like the fast snap suplex and was the first wrestler in the United States to use the superplex while standing on the top rope. He and Davey Boy Smith were voted Tag Team of the Year in 1985. Uh, the, the style of wrestling that Dynamite Kid did, Stu Hart called the gutsiest wrestler who ever lived and also led to shortening his career. Um... A serious spinal injury in late 1986 in Hamilton, Ontario, was originally thought to have been a career-ending injury. While he recovered after undergoing major back surgery, which included fusing discs, he was never the same wrestler again. Kid and Smith dropped the WWF tag titles to Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Neidhart, the Hart Foundation, in early 1987. Dynamite Kid had not recovered from his injury. He was unable to walk. Uh, Davy Boy Smith had to carry him piggyback style for the title change down to the ring. Kid never tagged in the match. Uh, he wasn't able to do anything. Uh, him and Smith left the WWF in late 1988 to return home and book the Calgary territory that we're talking about here. And they would also work Japan as regulars. The two ended up having a legit falling out, uh, plus ran an angle feud in Calgary, but it wasn't enough to save the dying territory. Towards the end in Canada, apparently frustrated because of the onset of injuries, 
his fading physical skills and other demons that the Dynamite Kid had. Uh, he would get into out-of-the-ring brawls and had a bunch of issues. Kid wrestled almost extensively in Japan in the late 80s into early 90s. His weight dropped back to around 175 pounds, and he lost more than an inch of height due to spinal compression. He would retire in 1991 and pass away in 2018. And he so ended up having one match after his retirement, where I believe it was in Mishinoku Pro, and it was it's one of the hardest matches to watch. Just he's so completely like you said, he looks shorter, he's so frail, and he does, you know, he does a knee drop, he does a few things, but yeah, it's it's really hard to watch. And yeah, it's I mean, we talked about Dark Side of the Ring earlier with UWF, uh, Herb Abrams. Oh, the Dynamite Kid one is tremendous. The yeah. Dynamite Kid one is is again very difficult to watch, but very, very well done. Yeah, Dynamite Kid here in this match, you see that he's dropped a ton of size from his 1988 physique. Like one year prior, he was gigantic. And yeah. here he looks somewhere in between the Dynamite Kid we saw against Tiger Mask in the early 80s and the Dynamite Kid we saw in WWF in in, in the late 80s. He's, he's somewhere in between, but he, you can tell he's dropped a ton of weight. Well, yeah, think back to, was that in 1988, that match against the Rock and Roll Express that we reviewed in the bonus feed from that snowy night in the AWA, I think, in Kansas City? That's right, um, yeah. He definitely looks significantly smaller here, and that's you know not that much longer after. And Vokensing here, this is Gary Albright? I So, yeah, we're watching this match, right? <laughs> and I'm like, man, this this I, I remember Vokensing. I have no recollection or awareness of, either. of Vokensing. I'm like, this dude, this dude looks pretty good. He's doing, he's a beautiful belly to belly suplex, which should have been the tip off to me. And then all of a sudden, Ed Whalen says, Yes, this man, Vulcan Singh, was originally known in Stampede Wrestling as Gary Albright. I'm like, Oh, okay. Now I'm really ready to watch this. Give me some Gary Albright. So Davey's in and he's moving quick and he's throwing drop kicks. And then. The Sings end up uh, working with Dynamite. They cut him off quickly. They throw him over the top rope to remind you this is a no disqualification match. Double avalanche in the corner by the Sings. Machin posts the back of Dynamite a couple of times outside the ring, tosses him back inside. I don't think that that really is what Dynamite Kid needs to be doing in 1989, getting posted from a slam position into the post multiple times that seems not great we're also told at the five minute mark that this is a one hour time limit for this match dynamite makes the hot tag to davy and he runs wild on both sings he hits an awesome vertical suplex on vulcan sing here davy then hits a perfect pile driver as well a perfect pile driver bango says ed whalen it was his most ed whalen here Davy Boy Smith looks fantastic Tremendous. in this match. It's, what a star. It's, you know, we've talked about it the few other times that we've seen the like 87, 88, 89 British Bulldogs where it, it's really striking in that while Davy Boy Smith was good, Dynamite Kid was the workhorse of the team in their glory years. He was one of the best, if not the best wrestler in the world during that time period. And then when he went down and as you laid out, you know, was so physically limited, Davy Boy Smith really, really stepped up his game, and we see that here. 
Yeah, he was tremendous here. And I mean, there was a time, yeah, when you would watch the British Bulldogs in their heyday and you were like, uh, oh, Dynamite Kid's a single star. Yeah. Um, You see that, you know, the wrestling classic tournament where he got to do singles matches with uh, Randy Savage and other folks. Like, you're, you're like, oh, he's the single star. But you watch a match like this and you're like, oh, no, I see that Davey Boy Smith could be the single star that he ended up becoming in his WWF run, uh, for sure. It 100%. I mean, you think of Davey Boy Smith, and a bit it's a bit unfairly because of you know his own demons, and he, he didn't end up being the single star that, that he could have been um, long-term, but like you catch yourself thinking of Davey Boy Smith as like the Jim Neidhart of this tag team, and no. Dynamite Kid is the Bret Hart of this tag team. They were much closer in terms of talent and ability uh, you know, that I think you think of, or I think most people remember them as being during their primes. Or at least Davey caught up. Yes. Like, yes. As, you know, it, at that point, he wasn't. But, no. like, man, when you get into 89, 90, 91 here, like, yeah, he caught up and surpassed and became a tremendous worker. Yeah, um, and I think it, it allows you to see, because, again, he was teaming with the most, <laughs> the most exciting wrestler in the world, maybe the best wrestler in the world. So it was impossible for Davy Boy to stand out. But when Dynamite slid back a little bit, you're like, oh, yeah, Davy Boy is a hell of a wrestler going all the way back to that young David match that we saw uh, in the world of uh, sport. Yes, in the world of sport when he was like 15 years old. It's so crazy to think this guy who's just gigantic is that same skinny 15 year old kid. After that perfect pile driver, Mockin Singh makes the save. Davy hits a running power slam. Mockensing breaks it up again. You can break it up as much as you want to. No disqualification, of course. Are you sure? No disqualification. Let's put a pin in that. No disqualification. We should just just to reiterate what no disqualification means. And that is that in this professional wrestling match, there cannot be a disqualification. No, absolutely not. It We've is- seen plenty of rules broken flagrantly to remind us that this is no disqualification all four men are in the ring the sings are rammed together we see a boston crab by dynamite kid at the same time davy has a sleeper on the other sing and as the sings are about to go down johnny smith hits the ring and attacks dynamite he starts cutting the hair of dynamite kid right there in the ring the bell starts ringing um I, I'm a little it's shocked a at this. disqualification. Are they going to do a disqualification in a no DQ match? I'm Ed like Whalen the- is outraged. He's screaming, this is disgusting. And he was tremendous in selling this haircut. I was more disgusted by the disqualification than the haircut. In my mind, I told myself, that's what Ed Whalen is disgusted by. <laughs> the bell ringing in this no DQ match, I guess. Maybe the no DQ rules in stampede where that it was no disqualification as long as the action no matter what it was was confined to the agreed upon combatants in the match but if someone interfered then there was a dq i don't know this this offended me yeah this was not a good finish makin singh hits an avalanche from behind in the corner on a davy boy smith who was not paying attention he was going after the manager Davey's able to fight back. Mock and Singh retreats, 
And we're told by Ed Whalen and Bulldog Bob Brown that this has been ruled a no contest. So not a disqualification, just a no contest. No contest is the coward's way out of booking. Cowards. No contest is always, it's a disqualification. That that's, yeah. You can't, oh, this was so annoying. What wasn't annoying, though, was Ed Whalen bringing it to the very last moment here. You mentioned as Davy Boy Smith fights the Sings off. Ed Whalen describes the conditioning of Davy Boy Smith by saying, "quote He still has a lot of has a lot of bounce to the ounce." Unquote. <laughs> a lot of bounce to the ounce. Both teams cut promos after the match. Johnny Smith is out. He's challenging the Dynamite Kid to an English chain match. Is Johnny and... Smith real British or fake British? I was trying to figure out with his accent here. I think he's real British. I'm pretty okay. sure he's real British. Not he's he's a fake Smith. Yes. But a real Brit. Correct. Ed Whalen interviews the British Bulldogs, and Dynamite says, uh, you might be Davey's brother. You're not my brother. I love that line. settle the score next week. It was such a great, simple way to basically say, yeah, Davey might have a problem fighting you even if you do bad things, but I have no reason to not kick your ass. Yeah, and he said it in the most Dynamite Kid way possible, yes. <laughs> which is just like, I'm a, he's a... He, his promo style is I'm a prick because he was a prick. And yes. so uh, very believable here that uh, <laughs> yes. he's going to hurt this man. And that's the end of the show. Uh, I love, by the way, the end of this promo with Davey Boy Smith calling his purported brother Johnny Smith. He just kept saying Johnny Smith over and over again. That did not make me feel like I could buy into the fact that they were brothers if he didn't just refer to him as Johnny. And of course, like I mentioned at the top of the show, Stampede, the this promotion would shut its doors, officially shut down December 18th, 1989. So just 10 months after the show we, we reviewed here. So definitely the dying days uh, of a promotion of a territory. But uh, your thoughts overall, favorite thing on this show? Any thoughts overall, like we talked about a little earlier, I think this, like, for what this was for a territory that was on its way out the door of existence... I One thought it was best. a really it was a really fun show. It was by far we've the randomizer has blessed or cursed us, whatever you want to <laughs> say, with so many of these end of promotion or end of territory shows, whether it's very late stage WCW, very late stage ECW, world very, class, very late stage world class, continental, all AWA, these, AWA, all these different promotions. This was by far the most vibrant and entertaining. Uh, show for a promotion or territory in that phase of their existence best thing on the show it's very strange to say this just given everything obviously that's happened which we referenced earlier but the best thing on the show was 1989 chris benoit and seeing him sort of side by side or minutes apart from 1989 dynamite kid and everything you mentioned earlier about just how like just terrifyingly similar they were and, and it, it's you know it, it, it was pretty wild to see but yeah outside of that i think it's just ed whalen being wacky ed whalen on a stampede tv show i i don't know that i could stomach it week in and week out for decades but here's parachuting in it it got i got a kick out of it I 100% agree with those. I'm going to also throw in an honorable mention to Davy Boy Smith's performance in yes. that main event. He was tremendous with the sings. Uh, definitely enjoyed that and opened my eyes again to uh, where Davy Boy was in 1989. So uh, honorable mention there. Worst thing on this show for you? 
Oh man. Uh, oh, that, that lethal Larry Cameron match was horrible. Horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> that it, was terrible. It went long. I mean, the, a hallmark, it seems, of of Stampede from the little bit we've seen and clearly here of 1989 Stampede is that with the 90 minutes rather than an hour, matches went longer than you'd expect. Um, you know, the, the Benoit, uh, Wellington against uh, Gamma and Johnny Smith match went like 20 minutes. And that was fine because it was really good. But the flip side of that is you had Larry Cameron and the former people's champion, Ron Ritchie, and they went over 10 minutes. It felt like they went an hour over 10 minutes, but it just, just a nothing happening match that would have been better served being two and a half minutes. Honorable mention to Johnny Smith's hair. Oh, is- <laughs> that was, that was even more despicable than Sandy Beach's tights. And uh, worst thing on this show for me, in addition to those things we just mentioned, was also the performance of Dirty Roger Rhodes. Yes. What a... T- oh, my God. Like, I just... I'm offended. I can't imagine what Dusty Rhodes thought when he was watching this. Well, there's certain guys that we've talked about before here and there that when you see them on a show, it is a it just a, an alarm bell ringing that this territory is either dying or was never relevant. And he he is the epitome of that. And with that, we're going to call it a podcast. I do want to remind everyone that we want to hear your thoughts on on this show, all the shows. Doesn't matter; it's all evergreen content. So whenever you're, if you just went back and listened to 1985 Stampede that we referenced, and you want to share your thoughts on that, the best way to interact with this show is via social media: Twitter at Wrestle at Random. Same for Instagram. You can also uh, shoot us an email, wrestlingatrandom at gmail.com, and you can also leave a comment on our YouTube channel. Of course, the video version of this podcast is up at youtube.com slash wrestlingatrandompodcast. There we have uh, the video version. You can see Adam and I having this conversation. You can see us doing the podcast there, um, and we appreciate it when you leave a comment there. It's a great way to interact with the show. It's what we've always said from the very first episode of this podcast, Jeremy. Interact with the show on YouTube. No one, no, nothing has grown more organically, organically than this YouTube channel. It it sprang from just audio versions being put up there to then a video version, never mentioning it. We probably maybe in the first two or three seasons of this podcast mentioned it a total of twice. We it never took off on its own. Follow it or, or leave comments, and, and people have done both of those regardless. And we love it. We appreciate it. If you want to support the show, that's the best way to do it. Go subscribe to us, not only in your podcatcher of choice, but also on YouTube. That helps us work the algorithm so other wrestling fans can find the show. Of course, the Patreon we mentioned quite a few times today, patreon.com slash wrestling at random. Get all of that bonus content there. And uh, if you can't support the show financially, just tell your wrestling fan friends about the show. Wrestling fans know other wrestling fans, so please tell them about the show. Have them take a trip down memory lane with us. And with that, we're going to call it a podcast. We're wrapping it up. Adam, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Ed Whalen. Thank you, Sandy Beach. I did not expect to see you on this show. I won't say thank you to Larry Cameron or Ron Ritchie, though, because I think that match is still somewhere in space and time is continuing, and it's still not good. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.